0: I've won raffles exactly once in my life, and honestly, I wasn't even playing to win. I made some random donation to a school course back in secondary school and literally forgot about it. And so I'm logging this TV home and I'm thinking to myself, of all the numbers in that bag, they pulled mine? What are the odds? Turns out slim, dim, and none. But that's the only margin you need in raffles. And that's why Jerome Jacobson was able to pull off such a long stunt. The magic of probability afforded him to pick and choose whoever he wanted without much suspicion. But as we say, too many cooks spoil the broth, and Uncle Jerry found himself drinking out of a very bitter cup indeed. We're back, babies. Season 2 of Scam Kings starts right now. Jerome Jacobson started off his career as a police officer in the 1970s. So nothing going forward should really surprise any of us. I will not be elaborating. The story goes that Jacobson either injured his wrist or had a chronic nervous system which effectively ended his career as one of Florida's finest. Reports vary but I'm inclined to believe the former ailment just because he was able to get back into law enforcement easily and you'll see how as we move along. It's either he really loved Wheeling Authority, or he was the reincarnation of a gate, because he took his talents to private security. He gleaned employment with Simon Marketing Limited, a marketing firm responsible for nearly all of McDonald's promotions, inclusive of McDonald's monopoly and the same company's vision of Who Wants to be a Millionaire for 25 years at the time of the incident. Jacobson was employed as head of security there, and according to employees of Simon, he took his job seriously. When McDonald's Monopoly rolled around, his job was to ensure that the winning game pieces were safe, especially the big ones. He went as far as checking the shoes of employees as they left work at the end of the day to ensure that they weren't taking pieces home. Hold your applause for bare minimum justice folks, because this is where things get sticky. Reports estimate that the scam started sometime in 1989. Jacobson had come into contact with a psychic who let him know that he would come into a large windfall shortly after their consultation. I guess he took that as a sign that he could go ahead and attempt the trick that he already had in his mind. But I figured he was going to do it anyway, whether the cards agreed or not. Or because he got access to the sealant for the game pieces and knew that pulling this off would be a virtual cakewalk. Now some reports say that he did this entire scheme out of curiosity a mere impulse to see if he could get away with it. But other reports suggest that this was done out of revenge. He felt so aggrieved by Simon because he felt that the competition was rigged to exclude Canada. But again, all rumour, no truth. Now that I'm thinking about it, there was no real way that this man should have gotten away with this. But as the head of security, he would have been the one accompanying the pieces from the offices to the packaging factories, along with an auditor who was supposed to be making sure that the process was fair and untampered with. Jerry would say that he needed to use the bathroom and he would take the case with him. There he would unseal the prizes one after the other, remove the bare prizes, cars, cash, trips, etc., and squirrel them away to be sold later. He would then replace the big prizes with little prizes that he brought along so that the count would not be off, making sure to seal the pieces carefully again. Luckily for him, the auditor was female, so there was no chance of her following him in to ensure that he wasn't stealing the pieces himself. Whatever the motivation for the steal, the first person to receive a pilfered piece was his stepbrother, Marvin Braun. Marvin was the lucky, but not really, winner of $25,000, the prize lodged within the piece. That exercise went off without a hitch, mainly because firstly, Jerry was the only person that had any real access to the pieces, and secondly, because of the men's differing last names. His initial success emboldened him to basically open for business. He stole even more pieces, which he would sell to persons who would give the pieces to other persons to redeem, thereby erasing or at the very least, obscuring his criminal footprint. In the end, it was reported that all his contacts ended up redeeming more than $24 million in prizes. One of the recipients was a strip club owner named Gennaro Colombo. And if you're into crime podcasts or really into mob history, you would recognize that last name as one of the air quote iconic criminal families out of New York City. The Colombos were the youngest of the families established by the Mafia in 1931 and they were mainly known for extortion and racketeering. Gennaro who also went by the name Jerry was a part of this family and he met Uncle Jerry through a connection in the Colombo family in 1995. Colombo helped Uncle Jerry's scheme become a lot wider and a lot more organized, helping him establish a network of recruiters, people who would invite other people to buy these winning game pieces in exchange for giving up a cut to Uncle Jerry and Colombo. This was after becoming a winner himself, bagging a Dodge Viper which he showed off by appearing in one of the promotional commercials for McDonalds. Colombo would go recruiting himself sometimes, often forcing persons to buy the pieces by threatening their lives. Colombo and Jacobson would be partners until Colombo's death in 1998 after a terrible car crash. Believe it or not, this would be the death that would bring the end of the scam. Robin Colombo, Gennaro's wife and Gennaro's mother, did not get along. After Colombo's death, it is alleged that his mother wished to get custody of her grandson, and so in 2000, she made the tip-off call to the FBI that essentially suggested that the McDonald's Monopoly game was rigged. Turns out, Colombo's father had been a recipient of a $1 million game piece and so the mom was able to speak from a place of authority. The FBI started doing some digging thanks to the tip-off and they began to notice a pattern. The majority of the winners came from the Georgia and Florida areas. Their digging kept making more and more connections and despite Jacobson's and Colombo's best efforts, the trail led straight back to them. This led to the launch of Operation Codename Final Answer in the year 2001. This consisted of wiretapping Jacobson along with surveilling him and his connections. Through these recordings, they were able to track the next chosen winner. A Texan man would call and claim that he had won a $1 million piece. And McDonald's, who was aware of the investigation by this time and kept the promotion going, informed the FBI of his call. On August 21st, 2001, the FBI arrested Jerome Jacobson and eight of his associates and charged them with conspiracy to commit mail fraud. The coverage of the event was overshadowed by the unfortunate events of September 11, 2001, and basically faded the happenings of the case from the public's imaginations until the production of the McMillions documentary in 2017 and its eventual publication in 2020. In all, 51 persons, including Jacobson, were convicted of their crimes. Uncle Jerry Jacobson was sentenced in 2003 to three years and one month in prison, the only person to receive a prison sentence that exceeded one year, and ordered to make restitutions to the tune of $12.5 million. Very little has been seen of Jacobson since his release. It is said that he still resides in Georgia, now in his late 70s, and in declining health, according to the Oxygen website. I know that there are many people who are definitely not loving this after nearly 20 years, but it just goes to show that there is no extent the human being will not go when they are motivated by greed. Information for this episode was sourced from the New York Post, Oxygen.com, Vulture.com, iNews.com, USA Today, the Chicago Tribune, Justice.gov. And today I found out dot com.